today on Never Was a Gamer. Kratos hates everyone. Could it be that the feeling is mutual? Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time playing everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is our own Greek oracle, Dimitri. I'm in a bad mood. I don't want to do the show. <laughs> I'm going to sulk and punch the wall. I hate everything. My wife is dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's not nice. I mean... Well, thanks everyone for joining us today. Today we're about to embark on our own odyssey... Because we're starting our second arc, one that I'm really excited about. <clears throat> These next three games are going to be games that Michelle expects to hate. It's hard to remember what I was thinking when I said, yes, this is a good idea. That me is not accessible to me now. <laughs> I don't know her. I never met her. And so it's no surprise anymore. We're doing a game from the God of War series, specifically God of War 2 for the PlayStation 2 from 2007. Oh, boy. And so, Michelle, you don't actually have any feelings about this God of War in particular. You just kind of have an overall hatred, dislike, maybe, just to, yeah, yeah, towards yeah, yeah, the yeah, franchise, yeah. but stemming from the 2018 God of War and watching me play it, correct? Yes, and which... Everyone loves that game. <laughs> I guess not everyone, everyone, but that's like a widely liked game that I just did not vibe with in some pretty intense ways. Yeah. So what is it that you expect from this series? Why do you think you're going to dislike it? Or And what did you dislike about that game? I think uh, Kratos. <laughs> just that's it? Yeah. Like, that sums so it up? He, so Kratos is just like, it seemed like a... a conglomeration of traits that i don't like in protagonists and like don't care for in like main characters generally so he he seems to he's like the god of toxic masculinity like the only emotion he has is anger he's generally silent other than when he's like giving commands to other people boy um yeah 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 yeah, yeah. very that um and you know, people were so tripping over themselves talking about his character arc and his character development. And it just seemed so pathetic <laughs> from the outside. It's like, hmm, man who committed life to killing starts to wonder if that was the right way to live. It's like, okay, this, let's not pretend that this is like a big, you know. And so I understand, you know, I don't have the history with the franchise. And so I, I, I think I went into this open to the idea that my feelings would change or that this would be a little different. Um, but, but at the same time, I'm a, I was a little concerned because like the 2018 is supposed to be the like the reformed version. Yes, the like more nuanced, <laughs> yeah. subtle ver and so that does not bode well <laughs> for earlier one. I okay, here's Kratos. Here's a moment when I knew I hated Kratos as a character. When Kratos finds a treasure chest in God of War 2018, an unlocked treasure chest, he does not open it. He punches through the lid and rips out whatever is inside. Like, you just, you don't need to do that. So how do you know it's unlocked? Because the, there's locked treasure chests that you can't just punch through. Like, so it, it means that this is the one that he can get. Like, what an asshole. Why? You don't have to be like this. So that's, 
it's a vibe problem. I have a vibe problem with this character, fundamentally, I think. Like whenever we get a package like from Amazon or something, <laughs> it's way faster to just like punch a hole punch through into the it. top yeah, than, no, to, you're, you're right. than we, to pick at the tape. Imagine we do always like, just punch into boxes and <laughs> you know rip like, out the vegetable peeler that was <laughs> waiting for us inside. <laughs> okay, so but but it's Kratos as the character who is so kind of tainted in your mind that you had this feeling toward the entire franchise and and have kind of avoided it since. Yeah, I just was like, no, thank you. Like I I'm gonna die someday. I don't have time to play every shitty thing that's been released. <laughs> like I don't need this. And so we're not actually playing the 2018 one because you know enough about it. You know yeah. kind of what it is. Instead, we're going back in time, just like Kratos himself in this game. All right. To God of War 2. And I selected two for a number of reasons. One, it's the one that apart from the 2018 God of War is kind of upheld as the best God of War. Okay. The quintessential God of War. And it's also the only one directed by Corey Barlog, who did who does 2018, 2018. One. Right, right, right. So he worked on the first one. He worked a little bit on the third one. But this is this is his baby, and this is his Kratos that he then has to kind of reconcile right. with in the 2018 one. Right. This is weird, too, because I kind of, like, I've seen some interviews and stuff with Corey Barlog, and I kind of like his vibe. Like, I don't, he's like, the the him that I've seen out and around in like our current age is like a weird match for me with with this character in a way. Yeah, and I, I mean he's been pretty open about the fact that he's a very different person, you know, sure. in 2018 than he was when he did the original God of War. When he worked in the original God of War and directed two, and so Kratos, he wasn't a dad yet. I'm guessing he wasn't a dad yet. Yeah, there you go. Even though I mean God of War is still a father son story, but from the perspective of the son. And, I guess. And Barlog actually worked on the story for two with his dad, who's a science fiction writer. And so he, so I think those those themes always resonated with him, but definitely more so now that he became a father. Sure. And yeah, he just sees the world differently. I mean, the world's a very different place. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, and the games industry is at a different place as well. Yeah. I guess I also, I have some, I, I have some like baggage with, uh, like men having especially a son for the first time and then that being the thing that prompts them to like ask them what I view as like fundamental questions about who you are in the world and your impact on other people and whether you're a good person. Like <laughs> there's just that seems to be an arc that happens and I have lots of questions about how you never went through this arc before or why, for example, the the process of like loving women in your life didn't spread i don't know there's like there's also just some stuff for me around mm -hmm. the sort of uh upholding of like f these father-son you know changing of the father sort of relationship stories so I'll, I'll be transparent about that sure yeah yeah i know the other thing too that just doesn't vibe with you is the overall world of god of war yeah so when the original came out the original god of war is from 2005 and that was a time when this kind of grit <laughs> and this edginess was incredibly common. Sure. And so a lot of established franchises actually kind of dip their toe into edginess. So the Jack and Daxter franchise, the second one of those, like Jack 2 is very edgy. Prince of Persia that 2. That weird cartoony thing? Yeah, it has a it has an edgy. That's so one. weird. That's so weird. Okay. The second game in the uh kind of the Prince of Persia reboot series called Prince of Persia the Warrior Within came out in 2005 which again was it took what was really a, a really charming fantasy 
storybook like mm-hmm. game and then just gave it this this darker edge with <laughs> literally a theme song by Godsmack oh my God. that recurred throughout. <laughs> so into this world, God of War was birthed, but that became the franchise's identity. So in sure. all of these other games, you know, they dabbled and then they moved on. The <laughs> problem like, is that oh, God no. of War, that it, its whole identity was okay. that. And so it just kind of carried on when other games might have moved on with its really dark, gloomy, edgy, aggressive yeah. worldview. Yeah, these 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 words are are jiving with my my play experience. And I mean there are a lot of ways that God of War 2 just feels like a game out of time because it's a game that was released for the PS2 after the PS3 was already released. Oh. It's kind of the swan song of the PS2. It was announced at GDC 2006. They showed a demo at E3 2006. God of War 2 wasn't even included as part of the big Sony press conference because that was only dedicated to the upcoming PS3. Oh, what? And that's one of the most infamously disastrous press conferences of all time. Okay. It really could have used God of War 2 to infuse some good energy <laughs> into it. But to just situate you in time. So the year that this came out, things that also came out in 2007, the first Uncharted. Okay. The first Assassin's Creed. Okay. Mass Effect. Oh. And Bioshock. Oh, All came out the same year as God of War 2. Oh, boy. And I don't know, even having lived through it, I find it hard to reconcile in my brain that those things are kind of contemporaries. Yeah. I mean, so I haven't played any Uncharted's or Assassin's Creed's. So Assassin's Creed. So I haven't um, that I don't have a frame of reference for. But yeah, in terms of storytelling and exploration and action and all of those axes that's a little rough from you know especially the bioshock and mass effect comparisons neither of those perfect games by any means but so much more sophisticated than what we're seeing here right in terms of the story and and i think again a stark reminder that god of war as a series is kind of stuck in its ways Mm. and maybe it's stuck in its ways for too long until we get to kind of the reconciling with the franchise in 2018. Right. But based on what's coming out at this time, right, you could have had that kind of reconciling in 2010. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before we get any further, do you want to set up what God of War 2 is, what you do in this game? So this is a third-person action-adventure game set in ancient Greece uh, where you play as Kratos, who is a guy who was, I think, formerly immortal until he ended up killing Ares and he became the new God of War. So this game picks up where the first one left off, I think. Um, And in this one, you at the very beginning are tricked by Zeus into losing your god powers. And so you end up going on this crusade to become powerful again, and you have to find the Sisters of Fate so you can go back in time to the moment Zeus killed you and take your revenge. Yeah, this is one area where I think the game is weaker than the first just because it has kind of a, a typical sequel problem. In the sense of, okay, your first game ends where this guy becomes a god. What do we do what now? now? Yeah. I mean, in the first one, Kratos does, we, we, we discussed this. He has this tragic backstory where, you know, he's tricked by the gods into killing his family in a rage. And now he wears their ashes on his skin. And mm-hmm. like, he can't get that off. So he's like carrying around his dead family. Like there is, it, it's like overwrought. Yeah. But there's, yeah. But there's some ideas there. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, he kills Ares at the end of the first one and ascends to his throne as the new god of war. None of the gods like him. And here, right, Zeus has tricked him into losing his powers. And as you said, it, it becomes kind of this weird 
I'm, I got to go back in time to the moment where I'm going to lose my power so I can yeah. beat up Zeus. And yeah. Close so the circle. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So just story wise, it's it's a bit contrived. Yeah. And I think that's connected to the fact that I, I'm not sure this whole world really works for me. Um, and I, I want to get this out of the way at the top because I think this is part of the lens that I view the rest of this game through. Um, and, you know, other people who sort of have their access point into games in different places might, you know, have different things that are the the first driving focus that appeals to them. But for me, often world is is really a crucial thing that I that I need, especially in this kind of game. Um, and this one is just a miserable world full of miserable people. Which is kind of what you're expecting. Yes. Um, well, okay. But in 2018, Kratos was miserable, but I don't know that it had other it had other stuff mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Th- this like okay, it makes some sense that this is reflective of the tone of Greek myth, right? Because in Greek myth, horrifying things are constantly happening. Like mortals get punishments, like having their guts pecked out by birds for all eternity. That's a guy that you meet. So okay, we're in line with the source material. But this is a very heavy-handedly miserable place. Yeah. Right. And. We are playing this kind of on the back of a few months ago, having played Hades. Yeah. Which, you know, deals with the same mythology, but treats it with a much lighter touch. Still acknowledges that there are some pretty horrifying things that happen within these myths. And it's kind of true to that. Yeah. But finds finds a balance to add some, to inject personality beyond just despair and yeah. anger and misery. I think personality that you've called out there is really the key. I think... Um, Part of why Hades thrives is because it uses the sort of um, gaps in imaginative space, the blank spaces left in Greek myths to to fill out this really evocative stuff, right? And I just don't think we have this here. Like it just, this world is very flat. It's very without character, despite the fact that it's constantly reaching for this epic tone. And one of the things I've been thinking about is we played Dark Souls not that long ago, right? And Dark Souls has what I would describe as an oppressive, like, relentlessly dark atmosphere. So I've been trying to think about why... You could say it's the Dark Souls of oppressive games. I wouldn't say that It's the Dark Souls of Blight Towns. Whatever. Yeah, sure. Um, So I've been trying to think about like, okay, why did I... Why did I vibe Mm. with that and not with this, right? And I think it's because partially in Dark Souls, you can miss a lot of the world building. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's sort of tucked away if you want it in like item descriptions and stuff. But also there's a creativity and a strangeness to a lot of it that gives that bleakness some texture, right? It's not just this like this punishing flat. I mean, it's it's also more sad and melancholy. Yes. Tonally than this game, which is kind of monotone. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean... I think about the pinwheel story from Dark Souls, mm-hmm. which is one of the memorable little short anecdotes, right? Where this guy's trying to revive his dead family. He ends up bringing them back in this way that converts all of them into one corporeal sort of three-person blob themselves. It's sad. It, it's it's different than this game, which is everybody hates me and I hate everybody and nothing good ever happens. There's tragedy and there's pathos in Dark Souls. And I don't know if I would call the God of War story at least this one, exactly tragic. It's just horrible people doing horrible stuff Mm -hmm. for the whole time. Yeah, and there's not a lot of dynamics throughout. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Dark Souls, even just as a narrative, 
has, you know, moments of anger and aggression followed by moments of mm-hmm. quieter moments of kind of sadness and reflection. Yeah. And with, you know, humor. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Infused in, in, in places. I think God of War 2 thinks it has moments of humor, but I don't know if they read. <laughs> so what do you think are its moments of humor? Are you talking about the the heightened moments of violence? Is that what yeah, you think? Yeah, like I think yeah. When, it, when it becomes incredibly excessive yeah i think that's supposed to be almost read as levity because it's so over the top yeah so i was thinking about this a lot too because that's something i have enjoyed in lots of other games are these these little moments where you get this real over the topness and and in this case those moments often appear in forms of just excessive violence yeah like uh like uh, fighting a boss character and you finish him by slamming his head in a door until his skull collapses (laughs) See, you love that part. I so I think I these didn't work for me. Mm. And I think it's because the rest of the world is so doggedly joyless that it doesn't leave space for for this to be fun instead of just like, oh, okay. And I you know, gore or violence don't really bother me. It's not like a it's not a um like a scandalized mm-hmm. thing. But I just I didn't have that like it's not like seeing Bayonetta finish a guy, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not that jubilant violence. And yeah, I just, I think this game has a major characterization problem. Like Greek myth deals in types, right? But they're still usually evocative types that let you read in some kind of flavor. And like this, nobody has personality in this game. Okay, I tracked it. There's literally three types of dialogue in this game. And 100% of the dialogue can be sorted into these three categories. There's exposition. There's purely like, here's what the situation is. Here's what happened. There's angry exposition which is or angry at kratos which is kratos remember what you did to me you bastard i'm gonna kill you and there's instructions there's here's what to do next that is it that's it like there's no different voices for different characters everyone seems to only have two emotional settings which is neutral or angry like everyone just hates kratos on site sometimes i think it's really interesting about this is like to prepare I watched this uh, making of documentary of God of War 2. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's something that I wouldn't have released to the public because so much <laughs> of it, it just seems like an indictment of the like, labor practices. Oh, no. And the, like, it's a miracle that this thing came together. I think you can say that about a lot of games. But sure. there's a scene where they're directing the voice actors and the voice actors are in the booth and have been given no context about their characters or who they are or what why they're saying the words they're saying. Great. And so they just kind of, you know, guess. Yeah. <laughs> and then the person who's directing the voice actors like gives them some direction based on that. But I think that's why you don't have, you know, nuance of performance here because right. the, the actors were given really nothing to work with. And even in this like the actors like I didn't I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and they put that in the documentary of these poor actors being like I you know, I don't know. I don't really know anything about my character. They didn't tell me anything. Oh, that's brutal. That's I don't know so why brutal. I'm saying this. I don't know what the context is surrounding these words. Uh, I just know that I'm supposed to say it angry here and uh, angry there. Yeah. And neutral here. Yeah. Yeah. That that completely makes sense. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know. Like everybody, everyone that you encounter hates Kratos on site. Everybody. Including the player in your Yeah. Case. Well, Yeah. Um, and sometimes they don't, sometimes they have a reason. Sometimes they're like, oh, remember that thing you did? And I'm like, okay, I guess he did a thing. I believe it. Sometimes they don't even give a reason. They're just stoked to kick your ass just because of just 
inherently who you are. Um, yeah, it's it's like I, I think this game really overestimates its charms and its distinctiveness. And it, it's pretty damning that like one of the things that really jumped out to me as like, oh, this is not working is late in the game, you encounter the rare instance of just another human being, um, because mostly it's gods and titans and then like monster minions that you're fighting. Um, And his sort of face is obscured for a while. And it does- I know what you're talking about. This part is so cool, actually, because, okay, you've just beaten this kraken. Yeah. uh, Which is actually a pretty sweet monster. Yeah, it's all right. And then you go into this area- and you get kind of this 2D composition where you can just move from from left to right. And there's, yeah, there's this obscure figure. And, and you it's just backlit, start, so you can only see black yeah, silhouettes. Yeah, it's like, it's like done in silhouette. And you have kind of this 2D fight against this mysterious figure. And then the payoff just <laughs> isn't there when you when it's finally revealed who this guy is. Yeah, and it's clearly meant to be this big character reveal. And it's just like picture the literal average like white guy, brown haired white guy NPC face. It's like the most nondescript thing. And Kratos goes, it's you. And so you realize that it's this one soldier that we spoke to for about two seconds in the prologue at the start of the game, which I only remembered because there are so few characters in this game and specifically so few like original characters or like non titans or gods and i was like oh i guess it's this guy but the game clearly treats that as if you will be like the captain from sparta who we spoke to at the start who kratos gets like no i this isn't you have not created a a memorable situation here (laughs) like don't be proud of this this is not a big reveal yeah, at first it's like, oh, is this some guy from the first one? It's like, oh, 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 yeah, the guy from the prologue. Oh, yeah, like, maybe yeah. Maybe they okay. give him like a distinctive mustache or something to one jog three. your memory. I listen. I'm no character designer, but I think when you want someone to remember an NPC, you're supposed to give them one distinguishing trait. I mean, this at was, least this was an issue with to me all of the human characters in the game. Oh yeah, and this is one of the. I think we'll get into this more when we talk about all different aspects of the game. But one of the things I think this game does is that. It raises your expectations at the beginning and then just doesn't really pay off. Oh, my God. Uh, Yes. And part of that is because a lot of the kind of boss characters you encounter in the middle of the game are Greek heroes, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting in theory. But the attention to design that goes into creating (laughs) the monsters and the gods was not really given to these schlubs. Yeah. And they all kind of like Theseus is there. Perseus is there. One is like a muscular generic NPC, one is a skinny generic NPC. Yeah. And you have these boss fights, and I guess the the boss fights are kind of interesting, but the characters you're not fighting... Not because they're Perseus and no, Theseus. And and they're not really given any characters, they're just there. They're also on a quest to kill the fates for you know a reason related to the thing that they did in their myths, but it's not teased out enough. Yeah. They're not fleshed out in any way. They're not really given a character. They're just like another obstacle, but in this case... It's a boring looking obstacle instead of an interesting looking obstacle. Yeah. I mean, from Perseus, you get the Medusa shield that you then just put on a statue to block a beam of light. <laughs> like it's not, it doesn't even become like your your shield for fighting the Medusa, you know? But overall, they they could have just been any guy. They could have just been like, oh, there's a big guard here. There's a big, there's a big brute. Here he is. Um, so that's not that's not terribly satisfying. There's just yeah, it's it's just a weird written game. Like 
even even the moments when we do have something that is supposed to feel like emotional or or really like grounded, it just there's so many whiffs where I feel like they think they're hitting it out of the park. So one of the probably the worst offender for me is early on when Zeus has just killed Kratos. Gaia is in the process of reviving him. Gaia is a titan who revives Kratos and brings it back and sets him on this path to find the fates and go back in time and kill Zeus. Yeah. Gaia wants Zeus dead also. Yeah, all the titans want Zeus dead as one would expect. Yeah. Um, so in as she's like hyping him up and bringing him back, her culminating line that she's building to in this whole speech is only a coward accepts death. Now, let's think about Kratos' backstory for a second. Like, did this bitch just call his dead wife and child cowards for being cut down by this, like, Jack Spartan warrior who was fighting with the power of the god of war? Like, this is this is an insane thing to casually say in this game that is obsessed with, like, throwing yourself into mortal peril for the sake of, like, whatever your ideal is. And also, it's hilarious to me that this is... This is like a schoolyard taunt. She's just like, I bet you won't go kill Zeus. You chicken? Are you chicken? <laughs> and instead of Kratos like thinking about this for two seconds, he absolutely reacts like she just called him a chicken. Like his line back is, I am not a coward. And he like gets up and stands up out of his pit of death and he's going to go kill Zeus. It doesn't make sense. It's clunky. It invalidates a whole arc that you're relying on for this, this character. And... It's just like juvenile. Like it just it just doesn't that doesn't work. That can't be a Titan's like closer. I mean it works on him, but like I, and it almost does make sense with Kratos's character because he's just pure id. He's just yeah. pure gamer power fantasy. <laughs> Especially from 2005, you know, personified just directs aggression outward. That's it. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's that's it. And that's all he can give the world, and that's all the world can give him yeah. back. Not it's a lot just... of room for contemplating why her words might not jive with his own backstory. Yeah, well, and I, like there's, there's a point later where one of the gods suggests that Gaia might be using him or misleading him, and then that's just never picked up again. It's like we're <laughs> not interested in having any arc of, of like, who can you try? You know, like, it's spoiler just... alert. They are using him. That's the plot of part of the plot of the third one. Well, I'm sure he is surprised. <laughs> what? Okay, Kratos, a little dumb. Is that Greek for slightly dumb? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you can't really expect too much from Kratos. Uh, apparently, when David Jaffe, so who was the director of the original God of War, when he was making this game, the only direction he gave to the art team in terms of developing a main character, was just make him badass. <laughs> and so when that's your only direction for a character, it makes sense that this is the character. Yeah, what results. are you supposed to do? To be fair that? to that art team, though, he does look badass. His character design is good. It's it's immediately recognizable. It's very distinctive. I like that he wears the ashes of his fit. Like, that's good. Ooh, we got, like, there's a, there's a character here. Um, but then what, is that going somewhere? Are we going to use that momentum for something? <laughs> yeah. So so were there any parts of this world that you you did like? Okay. So yes, there are. I think there are a couple of environments that are very impressive and really genuinely evoke something. I, I, I agree, right? The environment design, right? We don't want to conflate environment design and art design of this game with yeah. the overall tone of the game. Because yeah. often those things 
actually seem to be in conflict because the artists, I think, do a great job. Me too. Me too. I think like one of the, it's a super short segment and it's early on, but one of the things that really stood out to me is the hand cavern. So at the very beginning, when Zeus kills Kratos and he dies, you have the narrator talking about how the hands of Hades are dragging him down into the pits. And you have Kratos's body physically being moved by all these hands that are coming out of walls. And it's really creepy and visceral. And then as you're you're sort of being revived and climbing your way back out to the surface, you have to scale this the hand cavern, which is just it's so this is the thing. It's very cool. It's we got these creepy it's walls grody. and hands coming out it, to grab you. It reminds me of this Ghostbusters cartoon episode okay. from the real Ghostbusters called Mrs. Rogers Neighborhood that terrified me as a kid. Okay. And a part of it, hands start coming out of the wall, like, like gross hand, like gross slimy hands like this start coming out of the walls. It was like this. Yeah, it it is gross, but it's like, it's, I, I, I can mentally add this to my picture of what the transition into Hades mm-hmm. is. You know, it, it fits. It's a creative addition that fits. So, and, but then the problem is immediately, A, you're only in there for about 60 seconds in total, and all you do is climb up this wall, swatting at the hands to, to get them away. Like, it's again, that thing where it's like- To be fair, if I was in a hand wall place, I want to get out as fast as possible. Sure. But you see what I'm saying, though, that like, you've, you've given- me this space that I'm excited to be in and all I'm, I'm doing is like Getting this very <laughs> restrained sort of already familiar scurrying, right? So, I mean, there's there's a handful of, I think, really impressive environments in this game. I, I just don't think that I always felt the game put them to use them to their best effect. Okay, I think this is a good time for us to take a break. And when we come back, we'll, we'll talk about what you actually do in this world, talk about some combat and some puzzles and some platforming. We'll be right back. back and let's talk about the thing that we do the most in this game the thing that maybe the god of war games are known the most for which is their visceral combat swinging the twin blades of (laughs) athena i mean the combat lines up with everything we've said so far where it is really about presenting this almost gamer power fantasy circa i mean circa now but circa 2007 especially it's you know it's kind of kratos is pure id this is just about being aggressive, fighting aggressively, really visceral combat. Yeah. Um, and and just to give you a sense of who this type of combat might appeal to, I, I have to talk about this moment from this making of documentary. Again, that they they put out into the world. I think they packaged it with a remastered edition of the games. Like they wanted people to see this. Anyway, there's this so there's this scene where Corey Barlog and some of the other developers brought in some playtesters to demo and early build of the game and you know have sat them down at a table and just asking for kind of the most direct feedback possible okay and this begins where cory barlow is kind of shuffling through his notes and he he looks at one of the guys one of the play testers says so did you actually say that you wanted more screaming (laughs) and this play tester this guy just says yeah i got a parking ticket this morning and i was pretty pissed about it and this type of game just makes me feel happy 
at the end of the day, if somebody fucks with me, I come to this at home, I just sit down and beat the shit out of people and there's screaming and blood everywhere and I feel good. And then hard cut to Corey Barlog <laughs> in a different room going, this guy is the epitome of the God of War fan. <laughs> and then he continues, he's the type of guy that we totally appreciate as developers because he's so into the game. He's also the type of guy we're scared to meet in the real world. Oh, God. Just, just like... <laughs> shitting on their own fans let's put that in the documentary <laughs> don't worry that guy has eight twitter accounts now that he uses to go after people who criticize that guy this game. spitting on the legacy of steve crenshaw <laughs> that guy undoing said all of his work defending <laughs> defending you know people who play games as reasonable human beings who are not literal psychopaths this dude said no respectability politics for gamers <laughs> pure id that yeah i mean that all kind of checks out also roast him Corey. That's <laughs> <laughs> but after playing this game you know playing around with the combat you can kind of see where this guy is coming from yeah combat is one of the bright spots in this game i think it it's, it's like feels, one of the places where it succeeds it feels good and it felt good in the 2018 version, you know, using the axe. And yep. then later on, spoiler alert, you get your Blades of Athena. Right. But the Blades of Athena feel really good as weapons. So it's basically Kratos being like a douchebag at a rave with his glow sticks. <laughs> but instead, he's Swing got in the <laughs> he's got chains with blades on the end of them. Yeah. And he just yeah swings them around. Yeah. Honestly, it's sick. But they're really versatile. Um, because you can do close quarters combat, you can do ranged combat. I don't know. They feel heavy. Yeah, I agree. Like and swinging them isn't incredibly fast. Mm -hmm. Like they're not nunchucks. You know what I mean? Yeah, and like, like you feel like you're building momentum with the swings. Yeah. Whenever you hit an enemy with them, there's just the right amount of resistance that yeah. it feels like you know you're really a little pushback. Yeah, yeah. They they feel really good and really visceral. Yeah, I have to agree. I really like the blades of well, I guess they used to be the blades of chaos. Now the twin blades of Athena is what they're called. Um, I I sort of understand why these become an iconic character weapon that i think is like really associated with him they were fun you get other weapons in this game i really didn't use those other ones too much because i just wanted to play with these yeah you get a, a huge hammer which i played around with a little bit yeah um and that you actually get in an interesting fashion yeah you fight this barbarian king who i guess was in the first one i didn't remember but no context I don't, I offered no i've ever played the first no one. character offered don't worry he's just a big guy with a hammer it's fine but it is but it's a boss fight mm -hmm. and then you beat him and then acquire his weapon that is an inherently good way to get a new weapon in a game yeah and it motivates you to want to use it yeah you know I, okay i just had to fight a guy who used this against me now i want to see what i can do with it Yeah, you see him demo it basically you get to be on the other side, the receiving end of that power, and then you get to pick up that that object. The second weapon, not so much. The second weapon is called Destiny's Spear, and you literally are just walking through a temple, and you see what looks just like a huge dead bird. I'm sure it's like a griffin or a phoenix or something, but like it's just there, and the spear is just in its side, and you just go like push one button to pull the spear out, and then you've got it. It's not like 
announced in an epic way. It's just like you find it on the ground, basically. <laughs> they're like, oh, you got Destiny's Spear. Good work, Kratos. And you're like, I this was nothing. I never used it. Me neither. I like. I think I swatted with it because it immediately also gives you a couple waves of guys that it wants you to fight basically before you can unequip it to like make you try it at least <laughs> once. And after finishing it, I was just like, yeah, get out of here. I think I was in a tight quarters once and started button mashing and accidentally hit R2 and swapped to it. And that was the only time I ever used it. And I was yeah. mad about it. Yeah. I did not mean to swap to it. Yeah. You, it's, yeah, you're good. There's also a sword called the Blade of Olympus that you start the game with. That's like what Kratos gets when he becomes a god and right. then you immediately lose it. You get it again at the end. And if you do a new game plus, you can actually play the whole game through with it. I'd still rather have the blades. Yeah, I never used it. I just want the blades. I want to swing my blades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Swing my chains. Yeah, you get. You also get this big. It's almost like an AOE effect. Like it's you swing it around over mm-hmm. your head and hit guys in like a wide circle, which is so well designed for this combat because you are constantly surrounded. Like mm-hmm. you constantly have people swarming at you on all sides, and so having this weapon, the hammer also can go in a circle, but like it delivers this really satisfying three hundred and sixty degree. Uh, you know, damage is its just good. Yeah, and it's a character action game, but it's not a Devil May Cry or a Bayonetta. It's much more simple than those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some kind of combos you can put together by stringing together really simple button presses. And upgrading your weapons. Yeah. You open new yeah. special moves. But you know, like square, square, triangle is the extent of yeah. the complication. So you can do pretty cool looking things pretty easily. And David Jaffe, when making the first God of War, said that this was really intentional. He said that he wanted his control scheme to be simplistic and forward-moving, with a control scheme nowhere near as deep or complicated as its peers and competitors. Everything about this game is just like, listen, our players, they're real dumb. <laughs> we oh, gotta we'll, make this. <laughs> we'll get to this. There's there's more. But, but yeah, it was kind of intentionally simplistic. And it can be challenging enough, largely because you're being swarmed by enemies. Yeah. And... There is no uh, Chanbara no, uh, no, combat here. Yes. No enemies waiting for you to finish. They are just kind of rushing you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thankfully you do have your big swing where you can do kind of an area of effect attack. Uh, apart from swinging though, you can you can roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like dark the dodge roll style. in this. Uh, and you also have a various magic attacks. Yeah. Uh, you do also have a block, just worth noticing. Oh, yeah, noting. which and you can a, parry. parry. Yeah. Which you were quite good at, and I think that's because of Dark Souls. I think it was too. I was thinking about this. I think I've actually, as much as I hate to admit it, gotten better at sort of not getting into that button mashing flow and really sort of watching for what enemies are doing and paying more attention, which ugh, pains me to admit, but sad, sadly true. The parry is cool. You so It sort of lets you... It's not just a parry. You like absorb the attack they were shooting at you, and then you can redirect it at them or at other uh, enemies on the screen. It's pretty well implemented, honestly. Yeah, and the one thing that I really like, it's a power you get after you find Prometheus Mm -hmm. and after you kind of throw Prometheus into the flames of Olympus so he can finally die, which he wants to do. It's a mercy kill. He, He asks, he begs you to do it, yeah. Um, unlike most of the other deaths in this in this game, you don't get the sense Kratos didn't enjoy it. But <laughs> <laughs> but for for doing that, you get this thing called the Rage of the Titans, and so you know as you're going through, you're you're collecting orbs which can translate into health or, or to magic or to rage. Yeah. And when you build up your rage meter, you can unleash the rage, <laughs> which means that Kratos does more damage with his attacks. But most importantly, 
it negates all the effects of enemies' attacks on you. Mm-hmm. So there's no more knockback. Yeah. Which is amazing because you can just go in and start wailing and you know enemies are hitting you and they're doing minimal damage but they're not pushing you back and you just feel so powerful in that moment i thought that was so effective yeah like an unstoppable train in those moments and the other thing i really like about that is that you can you don't have to expend it all at once you can Mm -hmm. go into your rage you can do a few hits and then you can come out of it and keep your meter so so that becomes a little bit of a strategy you know so you can to try to keep your meter balanced because it is really useful and can get you out of really tight situations yeah yeah. Being able to turn it off also is key for not wasting it in moments when you like are going into a quick time event, which is how which is an integral part of a lot of the boss fights in oh, this yeah. game okay. and and ways that you finish a lot of more common enemies as well. Yeah, let's talk about this. This game, it did not invent the quick time event, but it definitely fell in love with the quick time event. Oh, yes. And it's used in a lot of different ways, some better than others. Often, in all cases, it's kind of used to finish off enemies. Mm -hmm. It leads to some of these really more cinematic, violent, visceral death sequences. Yeah. Sometimes when you do enough damage to an enemy, you know, a circle will pop above its head and you go and you hit circle. And that will trigger, sometimes just will trigger a gruesome death animation. That he just does, yeah. Will trigger an animation that then asks you to do some kind of... Mash triangle or whatever. Yeah, or spin... The analog stick <laughs> yeah. in a quarter circle, which is very Stupid difficult. Stupid spin. And then, of course, on the big bosses, you get the more detailed quick time events. Yeah. What did you think of these where you have to, you know, do five or six quick time inputs in a row to to defeat the bosses and to to get kind of the final blow? You know, in some ways, at points, these boss fights made me think of Shadow of the Colossus. Oh, I, I mean, absolutely. Especially the 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 larger bosses. Yeah. And so here's here's kind of interesting thing. So God of War, the first one, came out in 2005, the same year as Shadow of the Colossus was released. Okay. And then this one's a few years later. <laughs> hmm. Did not really take any lessons from Shadow of the Colossus. I was going to say, I did not mean that comparison in a really flattering way. I think it it made me be like, oh... You know, Shadow was pretty elegant <laughs> in like, you know, the process of how you have to work those those bosses through. Well, I mean, that's it. So Shadow of the Colossus, for me, is one of the games that made quick time events seemingly obsolete because prior to that, the purpose of the quick time event, at least in my mind, was to allow you as the player to do something so spectacular that there's no way you could actually right. do that within the confines of, you know, the mechanics of the game or what the game would allow. Right. Shadow of the Colossus, though, showed that you can play with scale, that you can actually, in real time, fight enemies of that scale Yeah, without relying on quick time events to do pretty incredible sequences. Yeah. This game, though, did not did get not, the memo. <laughs> yeah, did not take that lesson specifically. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I think the quick time events would be fine, even if a little clumsy, if some of them weren't also so finicky. Like, how many damn times do I have to fail rotating the left analog mm-hmm. stick around in precisely the pattern you want me to do? Like, I'm doing it. Just let, this is not a fun part of the game. Like, I know what you want me to do. I'm doing it. Just let's go. Like, move it along. Yeah. And it, they really do undercut the rest of the combat that feels so immediate. Yeah. Where, you know, I think the purpose of them is to give you, you know, basically a, a spectacular cutscene to watch but it does by taking away the interactivity does break the the flow of the combat yeah um funnily enough cory barlog doesn't even really like quick time events <laughs> aside from the use with some of the finishers and he actually feels bad 
by how long the quick time event during the Zeus fight and the final boss. Oh, was. he should. Do you want me to hear? Do you want to hear me right now without looking at any notes? Recite the dialogue that we probably watched <laughs> twenty times because when you fail this quick time event, you die, and so you have to reload from a checkpoint. Watch a cutscene again. Zeus, I lay down my arms. Release me from this torment of my life. Zeus, I will release you from your life, son. But your torment is just beginning. And then Kratos interrupts Zeus, stabbing him. I did that off the top of my head because of how many damn times we had to watch that. Yeah, Cory Barlow, when he's talking about it, he just says, you can have so many potential screw-ups. Like, it's really resigned play. It's like, <laughs> you, you, you know what you did. Yep, yep, he you did. He did. The, the most aggravating thing about that one in particular was that you're going through and then, so you're doing the quick time events, you know, you've done like five of them, then a button mashing sequence appears. And the icon for the button mash appears on the on a different side of the screen than it appears every other time in the game. So you miss it. Yeah. It's infuriating. Yeah. I mean, button mashing in this game in general is infuriating. There's so much button mashing. <laughs> There's so many prompts that just ask you to like smash um, circle. To like open a door. You're like, why? And that's it. It's like I get if there's certain circumstances where it makes sense mechanically. For example, if you're going to get crushed by a Titan. Sure. And you need to like push up. Yeah. You know, to. You've locked blades with a with a god. Or even and that. Yeah. Pushing back. Like where, yeah. There's, where there's resistance. The button mashing makes sense. But don't use it when I also have to open a chest. Yeah. You just punch into those. We've solved this. <laughs> he didn't this. learn that. He didn't learn that skill <laughs> He got yet. tired of button mashing. He's like, this is stupid. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's that's a nitpick. The button mashing was was annoying for me. There was way too much of it. Again, it's one of those lazy mechanics where I'm sure you, you could put some thought into it and come up with a different way to utilize the controller to communicate what you want to communicate yeah. without relying on button mashing and save the actual mashing for four or five times throughout the game when it really <laughs> would be meaningful. But apart from that, I, yeah, combat is generally fun. Magic powers are good and versatile. You have some, you know, you have a like a ground pound earthquake attack. I don't remember the real names of these moves. No, it you have electricity. Matter. Yep. You get a Medusa's sister. I think it's Uriah's head. Yeah. And you can hold up this Gorgon head and uh, turn people to stone. Yeah. It has some very specific uses. I think like the one thing that I do feel like I need to say about combat specifically is that like it's fun, but also a lot of the combat encounters in this game for me overstay their welcome oh, by agreed. a lot. Like too many waves. Too many waves of guys. Like a thing that this game does is there's not a lot of, oh, there's just like two guys here. Mm -hmm. It's very like you get to this place that is clearly set up to be like an arena. And then you're going to get six waves of guys with like some bigger ones and some little ones. And, and it's going to go on. Cut all of those by like 30 to 40 percent. Yeah, I need to introduce you to the Uncharted series. <laughs> oh, no. Is that a thing there, too? It's a thing in a lot of these in a lot of games like this. For some reason, like a lot of like Sony first party prestige type okay. games uh, use very much the same combat room, waves, 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 puzzle, yeah. new room, yeah. wave, wave, waves, puzzle. Like that's just a structure that is that is quite common. Hmm. And yeah, and I think this game lost me near the end Oh yeah, when before you fight Clotho, who is the second last boss. Yeah. And you've. You're in the Temple of Fates. You've disposed of some of them. You're going to this last boss. You see kind of, you know, taunting you in the background. Yeah. She's this huge kind of grotesque figure. Uh, but before you can get to her, you have to go through just so many waves 
of enemies, and it's so tedious and so difficult and just so uninteresting because it's just waves of guys. It's just a gauntlet that and, just goes. And I was pretty upset anyway by the time I finished it, but we were playing the remastered version. So on <laughs> PS3, which now has trophies integrated into it. I remember this. And when I finished this second this section, I got the trophy called 15-minute fight sequence. It's like, oh, the game is so proud of itself. Oh, yeah. They love that. They love what they just made you They're do. They're like, it gamers sucked. are going to love this. We love this. It yeah. was the worst part of the game. <laughs> I hated it. Yeah. They weren't even interesting fights. It was just waves of bad guys. It just lots. Like just later, volume. I'll talk about some. In- there are some interesting fights in this game, and but it was just you're just in the same hallway, yep. just a new wave of guys of increasing difficulty for a long time. And if you died to one wave, you have to go all the way back, yeah, and start the wave. You actually don't even start at the hallway. You start in the room before the hallway. So you have yeah. to run down <laughs> the hallway. Thing. Yeah, yeah. I remember that specifically. Yeah, and like being able to see Clotho in the background, extra frustrating, which actually that's another thing about combat in this game. I think this game struggles a little bit with the distance between its most of its mundane non-boss encounters and its sort of big epic fights. Oh, completely agreed. And this is the game's own damn fault. Oh, yeah, because of that prologue. This this is, I think, the biggest problem I had with the game in terms of its overall pacing is that it sets up expectations at the very beginning that it can't quite meet until maybe two-thirds of the way through, if at all. Absolutely. This game starts strong. Oh, yeah. It has... So the prologue, you're... um, you're you're fighting in this in this uh, little city, and the Colossus. I guess it's Rhodes because the Colossus of Rhodes has come to life, and you're going all through these buildings, and you can see the Colossus is outside tracking you, like it's like looking in through the window while you're having these fights with just regular like soldier guys. Um, but it's always there in the background. It's like sometimes swatting and you know breaking through places that you're trying to go to, like you feel like you are being hunted by this thing through this city. It really lets you like sit in that uh, in that nervousness or that fear. Um, and then you have this multi-stage boss fight against the Colossus itself that has many of the traits that come to define the, the biggest and strongest uh, boss fights in this game where you're mixing together, uh, you know, managing mundane enemies versus the boss and doing damage just in your normal fight mode as Kratos and then having these time-sensitive uh, opportunities to do quick time events and then, you know, moving from space to space. It moves like you're not mm-hmm. just stuck in one arena. Um, it's It's really, really good. Like by the end of that, I was like, okay. Yeah, for 2007, okay. this was really impressive stuff. Yeah, uh, but then the whole next, like, at least half of the game, you get nothing like that again. <laughs> yeah, it's like you have to fight Theseus with his, like, predictable four-move repetitive set in a really small arena. Yeah, and, and even the mundane guys, it really, mm-hmm. it makes the filler in this game really feel like filler. Mm-hmm. Like, when you get waved, you're just like, okay, now we have to go through more fight. Like, you just feel like you're like, okay, I just want to get on with it. Let me do the puzzles. Let me get to the next big thing that you have to show me. Because this, it just, it makes it feel, it's, you just are like, oh, filler. Okay, yeah, here, we're just going to have a couple waves. Yeah, all right, fine. You know, and and speaking of Shadow of the Colossus, this is a problem that that game didn't have because it just did away with small scale enemies. There's just not 
really small scale combat in that game. Uh, and so it doesn't suffer from the same problem of contrast, right? It just sort of picked a scale and stuck with it. Yeah. And, and you get the sense after a while, right, that the waves and waves and waves of baddies, they do feel like padding. Yeah. Just as a way to bulk up the game. Uh, and another thing that for me felt like that were 60% of the puzzles. Oh, yeah. Right. So another thing that you do in this game is encounter puzzle sequences they they're very functional. They're meant to give you a break from the combat. They're meant to change up the pace a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they really do exist purely as function. Yeah. Like there, there are very few puzzles that I would say are inspired in any way. I think my single biggest problem with the puzzles in this game is that for about, I'm going to say 80% of them, I didn't understand what my objective was. And I was just interacting with the things that I could interact with because I knew I would eventually get a result of some kind that let me move forward. Right. This is something that I was thinking about, too. It does not take, you know, typically puzzle structure is you enter an area, you identify the problem and an objective, and then you work towards a solution. Right. Whereas in a lot of these puzzles, it was like solution first, like a solution search searching for a problem. Yeah. Which And you only discovered what that problem is after you did the puzzle. May I tell you the worst implementation of this for me I in think, the entire game? I think we have the same one. Steeds of time? Those horses. Yeah. Holy. Okay. Also, speaking of great set pieces that are squandered on bad action implementation. So the Steeds of Time are these enormous, like island-sized horses that I think are like petrified or stone or whatever, um, that I guess at one point in lore were a gift from Kronos trying to curry favor with the Sisters of Fate. Um, but you encounter them and they are they are so big. They are colossus-sized. And you spend this whole segment of the game like running up their reins to get there. You do a whole puzzle on there that, you know, takes it's a moderately involved puzzle for this game. The whole time, I don't know what Kratos's goal is. I don't know why I'm doing any of this. I just know that this was the next area to go to and there's button things that I can do and make a thing go light up and go jump over. And so then when you finally succeed at this little puzzle, the horses come to life in this huge thing. They start pulling forwards and you're like driving them. You're whipping them with your blades and they pull this whole part of the island temple forward, crashing onto this other part so that now you can access them because they've fallen in on each other. But like, I didn't know those were linked like that. You didn't let me see right. the geography of this island enough to make that connection. Like, Yeah, it's like all this would have required in the laziest way possible even is just, you know, a shot of where you need to go next. And then like Gaia's voice coming in. Yeah. As it often does being like, that's a large crevice, Kratos. Legend has it that these steeds yeah. can come to life <laughs> if you solve a puzzle. Yeah. Uh, and at least then you know what your ostensible goal is. But here, yeah, it's a puzzle in search of a problem. Yeah, and and it just it's upsetting to me because it has a cool impact to show you, but mm-hmm. you just have no idea, no context for that until it's like. Yeah, and this is not. You alone. could have easily given me the goal of this. The yeah. goal of this is very mechanical. It's very like the steeds will pull the thing to crash into another thing, so you can access it. You yeah. can you can communicate that to a player. Yeah, and again, like this this happens more than once. Uh, and the only way I can justify it is that I just imagine Dodo Kratos because he's not really a puzzle solver, right? No, and so no. even having puzzles in a game where you have to you know use your brain a little bit seems like it doesn't fit with the rest of the game. True. 
But I do imagine Kratos coming up against this thing, not knowing what this is, but seeing shiny buttons and be like, I got to press the buttons. And he just starts hitting the buttons until something (laughs) happens. That, I think, works within his character. And so I have to headcanon that that's what he's doing. He just he is always he is like always getting to solutions in search of a problem, because if he sees something, he just starts hitting things, flipping switches, you know, pulling levers just because they're there. You're doing more narrative development work in this last minute than I think the writers did over but, all the but puzzles. I mean, this is, but I mean, that's also the mentality of the person who's familiar with games and the language of games, right? And that's that's kind of the problem with some of these puzzles is that, is that they assume that because the their imagined player is familiar with games, they'll be able to figure out what to do, yeah. even though it's not clearly communicated. Like so many of these puzzles, I saw them as like, could somebody who hasn't played a game before figure this out? And actually, when I'm thinking about my experience with this game, the puzzles that I think work the best I don't even know if the game would call them puzzles, but they were there were sometimes when a puzzle was integrated into the combat. It's like, okay, the combat is what this game does primarily. It's what the game does best. It's mm-hmm. what it's what fits most tonally with the world of the game is when you're doing this combat. For example, there's this part that works when you get to the Palace of Fate, which is one of the final areas. And to enter, you have to fight these waves of enemies, like a series of enemies that include these big Cyclops characters. Um, there are also these tiny minions who can ride the Cyclops. Right. And they can summon more by blowing this horn. And ultimately what can happen is you can just kind of get an infinite loop of Cyclops because they'll keep blowing them. So what you have to figure out is that you have to take out those guys first mm-hmm. to prevent more Cyclopses from being spawned. And then while they're out, you can, you know, take out the rest of the guys. And so it's actually a real puzzle grounded in the mechanics of the combat. Yep. And it can be, you know, this combat encounter can be really hard if you don't figure that out, or it can be incredibly easy if you do figure it out. Uh, so that's that's a place where I think, you know, you have to do some puzzling, but actually works well within the context of the game. It's not just this contrived moment where Kratos just has to pause and like brain for a bit. Yeah, <laughs> true. Um, I actually felt similarly about the Clotho fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is like a boss fight plus puzzle. Yeah. Where you're finding all these weird creative ways to like do these Rube Goldberg type contraptions to chop off her arms. Mm -hmm. Like that's, again, a puzzle that works well within the context of what the game is. It doesn't doesn't drag anything to a crawl. There's still some tension there. Right. Because the problem you're trying to solve is how to swing a colossal pickaxe into her face. It's like, yeah, that's a Kratos problem. Yes. That's a, that's exactly. a thing that he's like, oh, I'm going to need to, I'm going to need to get that into her face. Yeah. And, to, and to that end, there are also these puzzles. And again, I, I, I don't want to say they made me laugh. I think these were supposed to be moments of levity. I kind of found them clever where you have to like kill a guy and then use his dead body <laughs> to put on switches and stuff. Dark. It, it's really dark. That's, that's maybe the moment. Cause like, that is how Kratos would solve a puzzle. Sure. Yeah. He would just like, Kill this guy and then put his dead body on a on a switch. It's like, oh, I need a weight. Come over here. <laughs> so these these kinds of puzzles that worked within the world, I thought were the highlight of the puzzles. Anyway, sure, they're also the minority of the puzzles, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was commander of the Spartan army, ruthless and cunning, no one could harm me, no one could really touch my army. Besides me, I was the ruler of the empire, ho, no trust in gods, cause the ways are getting long. I'm full of revenge towards my foe, risk anything and everything to reach my throne. I'm the lord, the god, the king, the emperor, gold, I want forever. My hair is my enemy's heads, chop them off, leave them severed. We lose never, my army is larger than ever, screams to sail across the sea, so who's better than the god, a king like Kratos. Everybody wants to reach my throne, but they know I'm gonna die no more, I'll face everyone. 
one in defeat. No peace, I'm ready for war. Who's ready for me? So I can't stop thinking about how a second ago you said you weren't sure that someone who hadn't played a lot of games would be able to figure out what to do in these puzzles. Mm-hmm. My single biggest gripe with this game, which is very petty, but also very important to me, is actually the exact opposite of that. And that is how badly this game overexplains other parts of itself <laughs> to you. So the amount of prompting that the player gets is un believable i i i kept in between combat encounters when you're you know navigating the world and doing puzzles i kept thinking about lego games which i've only played a little (laughs) bit of one of but you have like this clearly articulated path there's not curiosity about which way to go you have a little sparkly ding on anything that you can interact with you have these like pretty simple, mostly QTE things that it's sort of like, it's like being on a dark ride at Disneyland, except with like a little bit of interactivity where it's like taking you through a space and like, oh, here's a fun thing for the player to do. Hit square to do this. Like I felt weirdly babied in a lot of parts. So this is so interesting because when I read that interview, when I read one of those interviews with David Jaffe, again, who was conceptualizing the initial God of War, um, and even Corey Barlog talks about how, you know, with God of War 2, he, he he didn't really want to mess with the formula too much. Sure. Uh, and so so I think this still holds what David Jaffe said about his intent for the original God of War. And he says when he was making that, he wanted players to feel like how he felt when he was 10 watching Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then he says, quote, I didn't want to make a game that put you in the shoes of Indiana Jones. I wanted to put you in the shoes of the 10-year-old kid watching Indiana Jones. So you look at something like Zelda and it puts you in the shoes of an adventurer which is both good and bad. You have to go around and travel and talk to people and figure <laughs> things out like a real adventure probably wouldn't have to do. And I wanted God of War not to feel like that. Well, success. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, I, I, yeah, I, like success, exactly. Like it explains so much like, okay, that's why you have all of these kind of cinematic sequences. That's why the QTE instead of the actual combat. Yeah. That's why, you know, that's why kind of less friction than maybe you would want in a game like this. Yeah, it also just, it constantly interrupts you with instructions, often in very unnecessary times. And like, one of the things that I think really broke this for me is that they, they're not like, you know, in some games you get like a subtle hint in the corner of the screen that just like appears in small text and then fades away after a second. And it's like, you can ignore that if you don't need it. This is a low, the lower third of the screen gets like blacked out so it can tell you whatever this instruction is. And it doesn't just fade away. You have to hit X to acknowledge it to make it leave. So it's so intrusive. And so frequently for stuff, I'm just like, I didn't need this. Like one specific example that stands out in my mind, I have a bunch of examples of this because I kept writing them down because they were driving me nuts. There's a point, okay, four days into my playthrough, I've played this game for four days at this point. I have my first instance of, you know, hanging from a rope and going across a pit, like going horizontally along Mm -hmm. a rope. And guys are coming towards me also along the rope. The game stops me to say, Michelle, as Kratos, when you're hanging from a rope, you can press square to attack. Listener, 
Square to attack is the command that attack always has been this entire game. So I acknowledge that. Do a square attack. It was like, okay, I mean, I probably would have tried that on my own, but thank you. And then the game pauses me again. Michelle, we wanted you to know that also when hanging from a rope, you may press triangle to strong attack. Triangle has been the strong attack for this entire, like, it, why are you doing this? Like, literally, I'm on a rope. I'm seeing guys coming towards me. What do you think my first instinct is going to I be? Feel like- I'm on day four of pressing square to attack and triangle to strong attack. What am I going to try? What's the first thing I'm going to try? I feel like Dark Souls has changed you. This is too Become much, man. So long, such this a long way too much. From, ta- from complaining about how like Metroid doesn't tutorialize you enough. And refusing to read the manual. Well, no, it's to like this. explaining how mechanical things work is different than like, oh, those controls that you use everywhere else in this game, you also can use them here. Like, I don't need you to. The first time I jump, are you going to tell me, oh, you also can, you know, hit these controls to swing midair? Actually, I think it might have done that. But like, it just, it's this stuff that it brings again everything to a halt. It's like, I like, it just, I, we don't need this. It's so, so clumsy. You know, I I wasn't expecting you to love this game, but I also wasn't expecting your biggest rant to be about the UI. (laughs) I do not care for it. I don't like, oh, also, the UI of the menu in this and the way you upgrade your stuff, I hate it. What freaking early 2000s nightmare shit is this? It is so unsatisfying. I don't want to interact with it. I love upgrading stuff in games. I Love it. I have replayed Final Fantasy X multiple times purely because I got a craving for the upgrade system. This, I never wanted to touch. It just like, oh, it's it's just. You feel like when that, like when that guy got a parking ticket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to murder anyone, but like, it's so weird. And I think this also contributes to a little bit of my sense, especially in the first half to two thirds of the game that this game feels really disjointed. Like it it feels like it's just pulling you along from thing to thing in these sort of discrete scenes that it's just flipping between and you're just like along for this ride. But like not in a not in a good way. It's just like, okay, you finished the part in Rhodes. Uh now let's have a sequence where we put you on a Pegasus and we'll give you some flying controls and some new QTE events. And then Ooh, look, now in our next scene, our hero will be going into the cave of Typhon to deal with dodging a breath mechanic. Like, it's just next slide, next slide, next slide. Okay, so a few things. One, I completely forgot there were flying sequences in this game because they happen at the beginning and then never really pick up again. But you do fly Pegasus. Um, Two, David Jaffe has you covered here again. Great. One thing that he said about uh, his simplistic controls, he says, our system was so shallow that it forced the team to constantly create new content to trapeze the player from one area of interest to the next. Very that. And, you know, so I think this is actually just part of the philosophy, right? Keep putting the player in new situations just to keep them on their toes so things don't seem mundane or so things don't get old. But the other thing is, isn't this all games? We were just playing It Takes Two together. Great. Which is a great co-op game. Yeah. And that game is all about just moving you from, you know, one scenario to the next, often giving you completely new mechanics in each scenario, just trying to keep things fresh quickly. Isn't that just what a journey in a game is? And and why doesn't it work here then? Yeah, I think that's a fair question. I think 
I think that doesn't work the same in a character-driven action-adventure game where we are supposed to be with this one character along on their journey. Like it, it, you know, this is connected to often not knowing what you're really supposed to be doing. What is the point of this? What is my goal right now? I think it just, it's, it's, it's lost narrative in that, in those points. You're just doing things that like, you know, Kratos isn't doing any wayfinding through all of this. It's just Gaia has sent you, Gaia has put you on this Pegasus to go fly. And then she's sent you to go to the cave of Typhon. She's just like, you will need to go to the cave of Typhon to find your way to the sisters of the fate. So, you have no, you're just like, okay, like I'll, I'll, we'll do that. Um, I think it, it just, I, I really think it's, it's actually me picking up on that <laughs> thing where they're like, our mechanics are so shallow. We just had to keep doing stuff. It's like, yeah, that's all I've done is like press you know, my little square and my triangle for a while now. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like on Kratos's part, there's no intentionality of why he's moving from one space to the next. Yeah. Or any sense of how these spaces are connected in some kind of larger way, like how you're actually getting to where the fates are. It's, yeah. it's kind of always unclear where they are. Yeah. Even right? And how by you the get end. to their temple, even when you're kind of in their temple. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and I guess it is kind of strange that Kratos is just relying on the gods to lead him where he needs to be when he's trying to also kill them. Weird lack of agency yeah. in this character for for this character. Yeah, so I guess narratively understand why then just moving from space to space articulated in that way feels more disjointed than it does in other games that do literally the same thing. Yeah. So, okay, all in all, I get the sense, right, you you did not love this game. No, there were things that I liked, but overall, I would say that I disliked this game. Wow, okay. Yeah, I would be comfortable saying I disliked it. It's on the Grand Theft Auto tier? That's the that's the, that's the zone where we should be thinking. Okay, because yeah, like I definitely had fun going back to it and their ideas that I definitely appreciated. I think if anything, it made me appreciate the 2018 version more. And I'm <laughs> right. wondering, which I liked in that... I liked when it came out. I didn't think it was the greatest thing that was ever been made the way that, you know, the accolades that it was getting, but I, I did quite enjoy it. But I'm wondering if you playing now through God of War 2 and seeing kind of where Kratos began, if that made you rethink your thoughts for the 2018 version. So a little bit. I think it softens some of my criticisms because I think in some ways it it um, makes me view some of the choices they made with this character as being about something broader than just that character, um, I think my real answer is I guess. Like, <laughs> so I th I think one of the things that some of the the shortcomings of this game actually made me positively reflect on God of War twenty eighteen. Like, for example, this got me thinking. Oh, I liked a lot of the side characters in God of War twenty eighteen. I liked Freya a lot. I liked was it Balder, the redheaded guy with all the tattoos mm -hmm. who kept trying to kick your ass. Um, Atreus was interesting. I basically liked Atreus. Um, so I think in hindsight, I think there's a lot more that I liked in that world. I also just like Norse stuff, but you know, like that's, that's also just a space that I feel like I would enjoy spending time in more. Um, I don't really feel any more warmly towards this character. I guess I, if you, if you, you know, were, 
young when you played these games uh, when they came out. And, you know, you're a grown man now and you're playing God of War 2018. I guess I understand why you feel like that takes you on a journey. Um, yeah, I mean, it has it has some solid epic fights. I think from what I remember, I think it has more of them. This game does not have enough of those those like really big uh, epic moments. God of War 3 has a lot. Okay. God of War 3, I think, is where you find your best boss fights. Okay. Of the ones that I've played anyway. Okay. Well, that's that's good. Um, there you're fighting gods and titans. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that sounds more like what we want. That's what we want. Um, so yeah, I think it, it doesn't, it doesn't make me feel any more warmly about Kratos. I think it makes me a little soft in my opinion on a lot of the rest of the world. Okay. Yeah. That's all we could ever hope for. Yeah. Also the, his acts looks fun. The axe is really fun. Yeah. And also I remember when you got the twin blades in 2018, uh, and that being like a moment and me being like, oh, it's like he got... Okay, like whatever. And now I feel like I, I emotionally would feel satisfied to get my twin blades back. Nice. Yeah, that's something. That's some progress. Yeah. I learned a lot about Kratos and very little about Greek mythology. <laughs> Maybe once Ragnarok comes out, we can play it and you can give your thoughts. I will watch from the couch <laughs> while doing something else. <laughs> oh. So do you have any final thoughts about God of War 2? I do. There's an opening screen before this starts that says, consult your doctor before playing, and then gives no information about what is in this game that could like trigger, I assume it's epilepsy. So is the idea that your doctor will then independently investigate what the risks are in this specific video game and advise you, and that that should be possible entirely? Like, in what way is this? I know this is just lawyer ass covering, but like... Consult your doctor about what exactly? <laughs> like Doc of War. Doc of War. Um, yeah. Anything else? Yes. Uh, this game loves a one titty out character. <laughs> or I don't know why one titty out is the design move for these guys, where it's like, oh, there's some modesty. <laughs> it's not too sexy. There's just one titty. But then you get to Clotho, who's like twelve titties out. Who's like Body horror twist. What if the titties were on a fat bitch? <laughs> She's kind of the smo of this world. She is. I was thinking you'd have more of a visceral reaction just because of your smo experience. And would you like this game better if you could wear a clotho costume? Yes, probably. <laughs> yes. But then you would inherently not be Kratos, which also would improve it for me. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, is that it? It is not. <laughs> Why are satyrs the worst enemy in every game? Oh, this is this is a good point. Whenever satyrs appear in a game, you know some bullshit is coming. This is, yeah. I actually think I hate them more in Hades, but I hated them a lot in this game. Yeah, they're they're absolutely the worst. And anything else? I just want to report that the one time I laughed in this game was when Dimitri was demonstrating demonstrating that there's a grab function and he punted a dog off the side of a cliff. <laughs> well, cruelty towards animals, the thing that makes Michelle laugh and gives her joy from God of War. I was surprised. <laughs> I didn't know that would be possible. 
Okay, that, that's that's actually my final thought. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this ridiculous episode. Um, if you enjoyed it, as always, uh, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you're listening to us on. Um, you can find more information about this show, this episode, show notes, everything you could want at neverwasagamer.com. You can follow us on Twitter at neverwasagamer. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. I'm really excited about our next episode. It might be a game that makes you are. Michelle love God of War. It's something that we've hinted at Michelle hating quite a bit. Um, because Michelle apparently just misses having loud, obnoxious creatures who look like they're covered in Cheeto dust on her television. So for our next game, we're playing Crash Bandicoot. We're doing it. And I'm so excited to do it. But I see Michelle changing into her jorts now. So... <laughs> We'll see you next time when we finally discuss Crash Bandicoot because convincing ourselves that platforming while running towards the camera is actually fun is an essential part of becoming a gamer.